Our Bible reading this morning is from Numbers chapter 9, reading from verse 15 through to verse 23. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law, was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. This is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Wherever the cloud lifted above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. While the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days at the Lord's command they would encamp and then his command would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only for the evening till morning and when it lifted in the morning they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in the camp and did not set out. But when it lifted they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David. Well, good morning, one and all. It's good to be here this morning, isn't it? Yeah, we're happy we're here? Good, good. That's the attitude we should have. It should be an encouragement to gather together as the people of God. We're completing our series today in Exodus. And uh, it's interesting as we get to these last two chapters, chapters 39 and chapters 40, and and I think what has just been read out from Numbers is possibly the section of Scripture that people gravitate to uh, in these two chapters. That's the very last section, really, of chapter 40, where God's presence comes and falls upon the tabernacle in that place. And I think for the most part, uh, the other sections in 39 and 40 are a repeat of the stuff that we've already heard, the stuff that has already been said. And as a result, people have a tendency just to go, same old, same old. I want to tell you that it's repeated for a reason. We need to pay particular attention. Our wives are wonderful people, aren't they? Thank you. We need to pay particular attention to anything that is repeated in Scripture and ask why that has occurred. So there's some very significant things that are contained here that I believe are going to speak to each and every one of us this morning. So let's not lose sight of these two chapters of Scripture. It's very interesting. We as pastors often talk about the passages that we're going to talk on. And, and uh, I went to Pastor Darrell. He gave me a whole heap of commentaries. He's got one commentary in particular he's used through the Exodus series, which he's found very, very encouraging and very good in other passages of Scripture. For these two chapters, it had a paragraph about that big. It had one line dedicated to chapter 40. Hello. And I think that actually emphasizes the point I'm trying to make. It it is so overlooked sometimes. But praise God, I believe that there's a message here. God never minces or wastes his words. Let's just pause and pray, and then we'll get into seeing what God is challenging us with this morning. Father God, we want the truth of your word to be revealed. We want to hear your voice. And Lord, more than that, we want it to go deep into our hearts and our hearts and our minds, Lord, so that we are changed as a result of what you say to us this morning. Lord, will you bring us to that place where we realize we need to humble ourselves before you, where we're willing to say, Lord, we don't know it all, where we're willing to say, Lord, teach me. 
where we're willing to say, Lord, I need more of you. I pray that for myself. I pray that for each and every person gathered here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. First and foremost, I know you guys aren't like me, but there's been times in my life when I've been in a situation where the sin I've committed, the things I've done have been so great, I felt that God could never actually use someone like me ever again. Have you ever been in that situation where, where you've just done something and you think you're so dumb that there's just no way God could use a sinner like you? I know there's people like that because people have spoken to me about these sins and how they feel that they can't be forgiven. I want to tell you first and foremost, you're believing a lie. And I think what's before us this morning clearly emphasizes that point. We have this incredible story about this guy, Aaron. Aaron messed up. Aaron messed up pretty bad. And when we look at Exodus 32, 21... Moses says to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? This isn't just any sin. This is a great sin. This is God saying, this is a big thing. This is serious. He's saying it through Moses, but this is actually a serious sin. And then we get to this chapter of scripture that we're looking at. And who is the dude getting ready to be the great high priest? The only one who will enter the holy of holies to minister before God for the people. It's Aaron, the same guy. And so as we approach this scripture, we see this guy who was left in charge for a little over a month took the people from acknowledging this mighty, all-powerful, incredible God in his presence and glory upon the mountain. He took them from that place where they were so humbled, they stayed at the foot of the mountain. And he took them from there to a place where they worshipped a cow that he made. Oh, sorry. Aaron's told us he didn't make it. Brendan brought that out. He threw the gold in the fire and out popped the cow. So this cow just happened, but it was Aaron that led him in that spot to do that thing. And Moses says it was wicked. It was evil. It was not the right thing. And this was a great sin. But greater than any sin, greater than any sin, is the power, the grace, the forgiveness of the God we worship. Amen. Yes, praise God. I can see a lot of heads nodding. Thank you, Jesus. It isn't finished with Aaron. It isn't finished with the sin he committed. God's got greater work. God's got a bigger plan. And the first thing he does is give him some new clothes. I told Pastor Darrell I was speaking on the emperor's new clothes. I'm not sure how he took that. I'm sure he's on the edge of his seat waiting to see where this goes. The first 31 verses of chapter 39 are all about the clothes of Aaron, the clothes of the high priest and how they were made, what they were all about and everything like that. And yes, we've covered this ground before, but it's repeated. Why is it repeated? Because it's significant. It's important. There's something going on here. And Aaron is the first person who is anointed and set apart to be that great high priest who intercedes for the people, who is the only one who approaches God in his most holy place. That's Aaron's role. And he who led Israel into such great sin, is now the one, one, who would enter into the very presence of God in the most holy place and live to talk about it. 
Isn't that just an incredible shift? Isn't that just an incredible work of God? In his role and in his calling as high priest, Aaron would have this wardrobe, holy garments, that are ordained by God to wear in the tabernacle. And so they had this blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine linen woven for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. And the garments that were made for Aaron, for the high priest, were garments that reflected the place in which he served. It was the same materials, the same fine linen, the same blue, purple and scarlet yarn that was used in the tabernacle. The very garments that Aaron wore showed that he belonged to God's sanctuary. It was obvious. It was clear. And there were four main components in these garments. And again, Brendan brought this out very, very well a few weeks ago. The ephod, the breastpiece, the robe and the turban. And I just want to touch on these four things again. I think they're very significant. And so the first item made by the craftsman was the ephod. And Brenda showed us that wonderful picture that he had, um, very dated picture, but you don't seem to get anything new these days, do you? But it showed things very, very clearly. And so this ephod was this sort of vest that had two shoulder straps. And on the two shoulder straps were these um, two rocks, basically. And these were onyx. And, and these were enclosed in settings of gold and things like that. And on these two rocks were the six names of six tribes. Six on one shoulder, six on the other shoulder. And these stones of remembrance bore the 12 names of the tribes of Israel. And as Aaron went about his priestly duties, he carried the people of Israel on his shoulders. When he went and did the things that he was expected to do, when he made the sacrifices, when he washed in the basin before the tent of meeting, when he trimmed the lampstands, when he ate the bread of fellowship, when he offered the incense, or when he stood... In the most holy place, in the very presence of God, he had the people with him. It's very significant. He was representing them. He did all his serving, everything he did in the tabernacle, he did on behalf of the people. He was their representative. It was about Aaron bringing God's people into God's presence. And Aaron also, Aaron also had the breastpiece. And... We know this breastpiece had these twisted chains. They were pure gold. They had two settings of gold filigree and two gold rings. And these two rings were on the edge of the breastpiece. And they put two cords of gold through it. And it goes on and on and on. But he had this breastpiece. And the breastpiece also represented the 12 tribes. It had 12 rocks on it. Do you remember the picture that Brendan showed us? And each of those 12 stones, some precious, some not so precious, had a name of the tribe of Israel on it. We don't know which stone, which name, but we know that each stone had a name of the tribe of Israel on there. Exodus 28 tells us that this, this breast piece was for casting judgment. It contained the two holy dice, the Aram and Thummim, which the high priest used to consult the God for Israel on their behalf. And his rulings were made that way. We had the ephod that showed the high priest carried the burden of the people, the tribes on his shoulders, and the breastplate, which showed that he had the people's concerns close to heart. He wanted to discern God's will for them. He wanted to know what God would have them to do. And then we have Aaron's robe. It was a long, seamless garment of blue. And the robe was seamless, made from a single piece of cloth to show the wholeness and integrity that God demanded of his priests. It had pomegranates on the hem. Pomegranates are recognized for their fruitfulness. They are full of seed. And every alternate 
item on the hem of the garment was a bell. The bell was there for safety. And we're told that in Exodus 28.35. He had to have the bells, especially so when he entered the most holy place that he would not die. Who knows what that means? I don't think God could go, whoa, someone's in here. But for some reason, he had these bells on his garments and he had to have them, as it says in Exodus 28, so he would not die. And then the final item I want to mention this morning is his turban. And on this turban, he had this plate or this holy crown, which actually had a statement upon it. And that statement was an engraving on here that said, holy to the Lord. And this is something that Aaron wore. And this was written upon his forehead. It was a summary of his call as high priest. The people were not holy. They could not approach God. They could not enter his presence. But Aaron, he could. He was ordained by God and set apart so he could enter into the presence of God for the people. He enters on their behalf. And then we have the tabernacle. When we read the account of the completion of the tabernacle, there is the need of it to be inspected. We have the same situation these days. If you build a house, I'm not sure if any of you have gone through that. Before you can actually move in, you need what is called a certificate of occupancy. And so someone goes through and inspects the house and goes, yep, all the wet areas, you know, the kitchen, the bathroom, the toilets, everything like that, they're all safe, that's all good. It's been constructed well. The cyclone, oh, do we, we don't do cyclone bolts down here, do you? Proves where I came from when I was building houses. But cyclone bolts are in the right place, they're tensioned correctly, house is well constructed, roof's tied on, it's not going to go anywhere. The inspection is done for the safety of the people who are going to occupy it. And so when we look at what God does with the tabernacle and the inspection that occurs, that is, the inspection is being done for the safety of the people who are actually going to be part of the tabernacle worship. It's more important than a house inspection. It is inspected to ensure everything has been done according to the precise word of God. Everything is to be done in a certain way and in a certain manner. He had very exacting directions on what had to occur for the tabernacle and how it should be built. And if the tabernacle was not made to the standards and specifications that God had set, then the people are in mortal danger. We see what happens when they disobey God. We've seen what happens. We've seen the deaths that occurred uh, earlier in uh, Exodus. Each piece, each piece was brought forward for inspection. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting was finished and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, its bases, and it goes on to explain everything that they brought to Moses. And Moses inspected it. The tabernacle was God's dwelling place amongst his people. And even though the Israelites possibly didn't realize it then, what they had constructed not only revealed God, but it revealed the plan of the ultimate salvation that we would realize in Jesus Christ. God calls the tabernacle his dwelling place amongst his people. Israel gets to see that God is not some deity that they created that was conjured up in someone's mind, in their ancestor's mind or something like that. He is in their midst. He is the God of the universe. He is a mighty God. They've seen his power. He is holy. Only one of them can approach him. The one set apart and called by God. 
But this God is also loving. He wants to be amongst his people. He wants relationship with them. He cares for them. He provides food for them. When no one else could. He gives them water in the most obscure way sometimes. He answers their prayers. He hears their cries for help. He reveals their law for them, not to bludgeon them over the head with it, but so they would know how they should live and guide them in their life with him. And he provided a way through the tabernacle where they could experience the forgiveness of sin. The tabernacle continually called God's people to confession and repentance. It was not just a one-off event. It was something they had to do daily, regularly. There were daily sacrifices happening in the temple and the tabernacle. The tabernacle and all that revolves around it taught the Israelites and us about the holiness of God. He was unapproachable. He was so pure, so righteous, so holy. But he made a way so that the Israelites' sin could be atoned for. He showed that he was calling his people out of the world to be set apart, sanctified. That's what it means. Set apart and made holy to be used for holy purposes. And Israel was always intended to reach the nations around them to bring them into the kingdom of God as well. It's something that's not realized. But that's what God always intended. He wanted to show that he had this relationship with his people and that others were invited into that. And at the very end of 40, we get the bit that we read too from Numbers. And this is where God is revealed. All the elements of the tabernacle were presented to Moses and he saw that the people had done all that the Lord had commanded Moses. That is something that is repeated 15 times in chapters 39 and 40. The significance is the obedience. People did exactly what God had told them to do. And as a result, when these people brought everything forward, when they had done everything the way they had been instructed to do, surely everyone gathered to see what would happen. Yeah? This is something that God had commanded them to do. And they completed the work. Moses has actually placed everything exactly where God had told them to do. The work is completed. And they must have just stood back and gone, well, what's next? What's going to happen? And I don't know if I could even imagine what it would have been like for them at that time. Obviously, it doesn't take um, very long for God to move. And keep in mind, these are people who've seen glimpses of God. They've seen him upon the mountain. They've seen him leading them by fire at night. They've seen the cloud leading them by day. They've seen him do miraculous things, providing food and water and everything like that for them. And so they're gathered here and they're waiting. And there comes this visible manifestation of God. And it just falls in such a powerful way. It's radiant. It's, It's just incredible. Words cannot describe what happens. And it hovers over the tabernacle. And it fills the holy of holies. And no one can go near. Not even Moses. The friend of God. This is a powerful outpouring of the glory of God. And it is in very limited form because we wouldn't have been able to stand it. It's a manifestation so people can see the power and might of the Lord that they've been worshipping, the Lord that they followed. It's so wonderful. It's so powerful. It's so glorious. And it's so overwhelming. And as I said, Moses could not even enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled there. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So what's God saying to us 
This happened thousands of years ago. Firstly, out of what we've heard, I believe God's speaking to those who think you've messed up. I think he's talking to you. If you think you've sinned in such a way, or if you think you're a person that God could never use, I believe God's talking to you this morning. It's been my experience that the God I worship is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, infinite chances. He doesn't keep a record of our wrong. He does call us to come to him and repent and ask for forgiveness for those things that we do wrong. But as we know from the story of the prodigal child, children, he's standing with arms open wide. He's waiting And when you turn to him, he doesn't go, about time. He runs. He's ready to embrace you. He's ready to welcome you back. He wants the very best for us. And he just wants to pour that out upon us. He is so ready to forgive. If you're one of these people who think you've messed up, please do not leave here this morning carrying that lie. Come and talk to one of the pastors, talk to a close Christian friend. Let's pray about this. Let's celebrate the fact that sin no longer has dominion over you. Jesus paid the price once and for all. We don't have to live that way anymore. Aaron was a sinner. He did this terrible thing and yet God accepts him and elevates him to this position of holy service. The highest position on earth. Speaking in earthly terms, of course. But to be prepared for that role, there's certain things that Aaron had to do. And as we read through scripture, he was washed with holy water in Exodus 40.12. And this was symbolically showing that he had been consecrated or set apart for the work that God had called him to do. And then he confessed sins, something he had to do regularly. And he laid his hand on the head of a bull and two rams. And then they were sacrificed to make atonement for his sin. Cleansing water. Sacrificial blood. Same thing is offered to us today. You come before God today, accepting the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sin. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, For Christ also suffered once for sins. Look at that. I messed up again. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. His death covers sin for all time. Every sin. No exceptions. We have nothing to be ashamed of in returning to him and asking for his forgiveness. It's how Jesus brings us to God. It's how that relationship is started. It's how that relationship continues. The cleansing water. We have the rite or the act of baptism, our baptismal fonts behind this screen. And and this is that step of obedience. We get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It represents the choice that we have made in honoring and glorifying God and accepting Jesus, not only as Savior, but also as Lord. It's saying, Lord, I'm going to put to death my old self. We get buried in that water when we go under the water. Then we rise to new life in Christ, a life that no longer is dictated by the things of this world. 
When we talk about taking up our cross and following him, we only have that one direction to go. Anyone who's to be crucified had that one path to walk. They could go neither to the left nor the right. The rights to their property property were already gone. Their friends had possibly already sent them off and said, well, I disown them. I want nothing more to do with them. It was that one path. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. He's saying, forsake all others and follow me. And if you've experienced life like I have in following Jesus Christ, there is nothing to compare to it. You get into the deepest, darkest moments, sometimes caused by those who are closest to you. But he is still present. He still carries us. He still leads us on. And he has this incredible plan for us. I am no one special. I'm still blown away that God calls me to be a minister and a pastor of his word. And brother, if you had saw me when when I was a teenager, whew. I'm a walking miracle. And God could do that for you. There are people sitting in this place who could be the next great evangelist here in this country, in the world. We need to believe that. We need to believe that God's got this transforming power and he wants to equip you. Think of Aaron. That's what this is all about. This guy committed such a great sin and yet he was the representative for the people. He can do it for you. We need a high priest. Amen. We need someone who can go into the very presence of God and be our representative. We need someone who understands all our messed up lives, the fact that we keep doing things wrong and and we want to live a certain way, but we just don't do it. And we need that person to intercede for us. That person who goes into that most holy place. That's what Jesus does. He offered himself as that perfect sacrifice for our sins, just as Aaron carried the names of the 12 tribes on his shoulders into the presence of God. Even now, Jesus is interceding for us. How do I know? Romans 8.34. Who is condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And I'm so thankful that he does, because again, I keep messing up. And Jesus knows. He knows. And he speaks to God about what I need. He speaks to God about what my heart is. He speaks to God about what I really meant to say instead of what I did say. We can't enter God's presence without Jesus. It's simply not possible. Aaron was a Dane to set apart. He was holy to the Lord. And Aaron was a dim reflection of the work that Jesus did. Jesus would be God's chosen one. Holy to the Lord now continuously interceding for us and providing a way where we can have relationship and fellowship with God. When we think about the tabernacle, it was a place for God's presence to dwell among his people, Israel. There'd been a cloud of fire by night. Sorry, there'd been a cloud and fire that continues to lead Israel as they journeyed. But this was about God being amongst them, tabernacling or dwelling with them. God's glory came and filled the most holy place in the tabernacle. This is where the people met with God and offered worship and sacrifice. We're coming into a season where we celebrate Christmas. That time when Jesus left all that he had to come and dwell with us, to tabernacle with us. That's what it's all about. He did so in order that we might, sorry, in order that he might offer himself as that perfect sacrifice 
to provide a way once and for all for whoever believed in him. John 3, 16 to 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Son of God. We so need the presence and glory of God. He's here. He's present with us. He chooses now to dwell with us and within us by power of Holy Spirit. His call is simple. And it's as relevant for us today as it was for Jesus when he was first born. There was no room for him then. Will we make room for him today? Are you willing to put aside everything that distracts us from the main thing? Everything that hinders us from being all we can be for him? Are we willing to focus upon him and his call upon each and every one of us? Are we willing to focus on what is truly important? The one thing we should focus on because of the eternal consequences for us our spouses, our children, our friends, our families, our communities. God wants to be revealed to us and through us. He's not going to force us. We have to choose. We have to humble ourselves before him. We have to agree to not only make him saviour, we all like that bit, we have to agree to make him Lord. And he's either Lord of all of your life or he's not Lord at all. The choice is yours. The choice is mine. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord, that we're coming to a season where we celebrate the incredible gift of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the fulfilling of all of scripture. All of the Old Testament, Lord, pointed forward to that day when he would come. And we thank you, Lord, that he paid the price once and for all, for all our sin. And Lord, I pray for a revelation for those who haven't got that. I pray that this morning you gave them an inkling. They saw the power of you. They saw what you have done. And Lord, I pray that you'll be moving hearts and minds to draw close to you. Lord, I pray for a change this morning. I pray people will respond to you. Lord, please let no one leave. If they have business to do with you today, let them do that business first, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.